Hi everyone, welcome to episode 64 of the Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And we are thrilled to be together again after the Thanksgiving holiday. Yes, it was quite the break. Yes. Yes, yes our bellies are full and we did a lot of reading. So we, we have did. a lot to talk about. Yes. Before we get started, we just have a couple things to say. One is a big thank you to our friend Ryan, who is helping... He's an intern of sorts, even though he's a grown-up like us. That's a joke, Ryan. But he is helping us um, figure out some book cougar... Technical enhancements that we can do to make the sound quality be a a bit better. Right. And he also put a cool search feature on the website. So if you ever listen to an episode and you're like, what was the name of that book? And you can think of one word or an author name or something like that, there's now a search tab on the website and you can search Search, for things like that. Very convenient. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, thank you so much, Ryan. And we're recording with our brand new Baffle Mm -hmm. that we purchased thanks to everyone's donations and contributions. So hopefully that's going to help sound quality a bit too. Yes, exactly. And it'll be nice for us to be able to take it when we go to some of those echoey library rooms and things yeah. like that as well. So I think that's where it'll make the biggest difference probably. Yeah. And at the end of this episode, we have a really cool author spotlight with Shuli Kaywood. She has a new book that she's launching with the Book Cougars. Yes. And you'll remember Shuli from episode 22, 22 when she was on talking about her memoir the going and, and goodbye. The goodbye yes yeah. so she's back with us we're so happy to be part of her book launch yes and this episode is airing tuesday november 27th which is her official book launch so yes. when you listen to her talk about it you can then go and buy it all right so what are you currently reading chris well, currently reading i'm actually on an audio becoming by mm. michelle obama I started listening to that just before Thanksgiving, and actually, for so for the last four days with the long weekend, I didn't listen to it at all, but I look forward to getting back to that, because she reads it. Mm-hmm. I'm listening to it on regular speed, because I just love listening to her voice, and it's, it's a lot of fun so far. She's talking, uh, I'm in the point where she is in high school, starting to look at colleges. Okay. Yeah, it's long. It's 19 hours, I think. 19 plus hours. So, yeah, yeah she has a lot to say. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it all. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> you got to do some driving or some walking or something. Yeah. I just started um, yesterday His Favorites by Kate Walbert, which I've spoken about already on the podcast because I did see her at RJ probably a month or so ago. And I'm enjoying it. I'm very just at the very beginning and I've read the part that she read at the event so it was a little bit familiar to me very cool are you reading anything else I am I just started this morning a graphic novel called The Stan short Mm. for Afghanistan it's an advanced reader copy I believe it's out now and this is um, a new imprint from the Naval Institute Press called Dead Reckoning it's their graphic novel series so this is a collection of short comics from different people who were in Afghanistan. And they're drawn by an artist. What is her name? Blue Delaquanti is her name, the, uh, the cartoonist and illustrator. So I'm, I just started it. So, so you mean different people that. are writing the stories, but she's illustrating all of them. Yeah, so That's- they're based on, let's see... Reporting by Dave Axe and Kevin Condal, 
and drawn by Blue, the artist, all are true and took place in roughly the first decade of the U.S. military intervention in Afghanistan. Mm. While the stories are from the recent past, the stand is still very much about Afghanistan's and America's present and likely future. Oh, interesting. Well, I am currently reading two cookbooks oh, yes. that I got in the mail. Super happy mail day for me. <laughs> um, it's from the publisher, did you say Phaidon? I don't know how to pronounce that yeah. word correctly. It's P-H-A-I-D-O-N. And I drooled over these cookbooks at Book Expo <laughs> and got them in the mail. And um, they are very well-known publisher for art books as well. So they're the cookbooks are just beautiful. The images are beautiful. The pictures are beautiful. And the first one is called The Grain Bowl by Nick Williamson. And that's a book. It's like if I could eat any way every day, I would eat from this cookbook because mm-hmm. it's all just different kinds of grains. Some of the dishes are cold grains. Some are warm grains. And he, at the beginning, he talks about how grains are ingested in different countries and throughout history and my favorite part of the book so far is at the very beginning of it is all the different kinds of grains you can use and how to cook them and then in the back of the book he also has suppliers which is nice because some of them are a little esoteric and Mm -hmm. unless you live in a cool near a cool food co-op with a huge you know bulk food department they could be kind of hard to find yeah um, but I, I haven't cooked from it yet, but I have definitely looked through it and I know the recipes I'm going to start with. And it reminds me when we go to Grand Central, there's that new Scandinavian section up on the first floor, the main floor that has a bunch of really yummy food. And one right. of the things they have is this, um, savory grain bowl oh. counter. And I always love going there. And then the other one is called America, the cookbook, and it's by Gabrielle Langholtz. That is a tome. It is 800 pages. (laughs) I think it would make a fantastic gift for the holidays. It covers a lot of territory. I mean, basically, she's talking about the food that America is known for, and America is a melting pot. So it's known for all various kinds of food. Mm -hmm. And she has the classic sections like starters, breakfast, lunch, dinner, you know, things like that, desserts, a fantastic dessert section. And then in the back, she has a section that's guest essays and recipes by very famous chefs. Mm -hmm. So it's really fun. And then they talk about what their, you know, like their state and what it's known for. And then they have recipes for that, or at least what they think the state should be known for. Very cool. Yeah. So I'm really enjoying that one. It's it's one I've just been, frankly, reading because yeah. I'm a freak like that. That's neat. That, that's one I'd be curious to flip through, too, eventually. Yeah. yeah. And they have, and I will be receiving, I don't think it comes out until, I want to say, the spring of 2019, a kid's version of it, which I think would be such a cool gift to give both, you know, the yeah. adult version and the kid version to a family. Neat, so, yeah. So those are my, my current reads. Excellent. <laughs> So what have you just read? Well, last night I finished Becoming by Michelle Obama. Oh, you did finish <laughs> yes. it. Yes. And I read it. You I did. did not okay. listen to it. Right. Yeah. I had requested it when we first knew that it was coming. I got on the library website and requested it straight away in both audio and ebook. Okay. And the ebook came first. And Wow, that was pretty I, pretty good timing for you. Yes. Wow. And yes. I read it the entire holiday. Mm -hmm. I just, it was so fun to escape into Michelle Obama's world. 
And it's interesting because a lot of it is the beginning and I won't, you know, talk too much about it because we'll talk about it again when you finish. But, you know, we also did live through a lot of the things that she talks about, right? So it's so interesting to hear it from her perspective. Yeah. And um, it took me a little while. I'm interested about how this is on audio, but her writing style is a little choppy. And it took me a little while to get the flow of it. But then once I did, I loved it. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I'll have to try. I'll pick it up at the bookstore or something and read a little bit and just see how it reads versus how it sounds in the ear. Yeah. But I loved every minute of it. So I highly recommend it. Well, I did finish Eat, Pray, Love. I totally finished it. Uh, That's Elizabeth Gilbert, for those of you who Our new friends. (laughs) 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 Yes. Um, And sadly, I read that one. I got it from the library as an ebook. And it returned. Uh, the due date came before I could get my notes and highlights off. Oh, no. So it's all kind of a blur. I'm glad I read it. And as I said to uh, a friend, I feel like it's one of those books. If I were at a party, I could talk with one group of people about how much I love the book. And then I could turn and talk with another group of people and bitch about the book. Oh, that's funny. Not bitch about mm-hmm. it, but just, mm-hmm. you know, talk about what I wasn't all that thrilled about, maybe. I feel like it, depending on what my mood is, it can mm-hmm. go either way but i'm happy i finally read it i feel like i'm probably one of the last women in america to, <laughs> to read that one who wants to read it right who wants to read it <laughs> yes because it is quite true everyone for the most part they either love it or they hate it yeah there are a couple people who are kind of like yeah yeah take it or leave it mm-hmm. um but yeah it does certainly evoke strong emotions in people it does i as i've mentioned i'm in yeah. the love camp well and i wonder too it's i think like in some ways that's what books do i think what i I don't want to use the word good because that has too many layers of meaning Mm -hmm. but i think a book i think it's great when books can provoke emotions yeah yeah i mean it gives you more to talk about right like it was a great book club book for that reason because people had such strong opinions on all sides and it's one of those books you can't really peg like some people i who i have common reading taste with uh you know we diverged on that one Mm -hmm. and vice versa so yeah Yeah. eat pray love elizabeth gilbert check i read because what i'm trying to remember what i read that was really heavy oh i had read that book ohio by stephen markley so i wanted something really light so i came across this book called lift and separate By Marilyn Simon Rothstein. And the cover is covered with brassiers. I mean, how could you not pick yeah. it up, right? And it was hilarious. I loved every minute of it. I kept humming Bette Midler's song from Beaches, the over-the-shoulder boulder holder mm-hmm. song. Because, <laughs> what is it, Otto Titzling, inventor in Kraut? He invented the bra, apparently. Because in this book, the woman's, the protagonist's husband owns a bra company like Victoria's Secrets is his big competitor and he his he he um has an affair and so which happens at the very beginning of the book it's not a spoiler and she's in her late 50s I think and so now she loves her life they've had children together and this is not what she was expecting and she has to forge ahead Mm -hmm. and how is she going to forge ahead And I thought it was hilarious. I loved her. There's a cast of characters and her friends and all of that. And I read it very quickly, probably in two sittings. Mm -hmm. And she has a new book out that just came out in March 
called Husbands and Other Sharp Objects. <laughs> that is a continuation of the story as she moves on in her life. So, And it's getting very good reviews. And I'm sad to say that I just came across her as an author. And she, I believe she's from Connecticut. And she did is doing a book tour, but I've missed her oh, the touring in Connecticut oh, piece. Bummer. Yeah. I would imagine she's funny to see in person just because of her writing. So if you get a chance, check her out. Marilyn Simon Rothstein. Very cool. Yeah. Well, I just, I did also read Rita Mae Brown's Starting from Scratch, A Different Kind of Writer's Manual. This is the one I did as a buddy read with Sean, the book maniac on YouTube. And it started off fine for both of us. And it kind of went downhill from there. We both had fond memories of reading it back in the day when it first came out. It came out in like 1988. And it just, some things didn't hold up well. Mm. And some things, she puts down genre fiction. Oh. Which is fascinating because in 1990, she started writing the Sneaky Pete and all these animal cozy mysteries. <laughs> so you think like, okay, lady, you know, which is it? I did find a, a more recent interview with her where she does say she was a bit of a literary snob and she has learned a lot from writing genre for these last 20 odd years. And I guess she started writing it, those to make money to take care of her mom. Uh, so there's some backstory. So there. there's some backstory with yeah. that, yeah. So um, she's very opinionated in funny ways and in maddening ways. And I would love to see her revise this to see where she stands now on things. The woman is super smart. She has two PhDs. Mm. So she has a PhD in English and in political science, I believe it is. And she really believes that writers need to study Latin. Oh, interesting. The yes. root of all words. Yes, at least the, the Latin words, anyway. Because right. she talks about how English is a combination of Latin and Anglo-Saxon and, mm-hmm. and how that can break down along class lines. So, if you're, so I mean, she does have a lot of really great points about writing. So if you're looking at characters from two different classes, you could have the upper-class character use more Latin-type mm-hmm. words and the lower-class use more Anglo-Saxon-type words. Which, you know, may or may not hold up. I could see that a little bit, though, in when you're looking at characters and speech patterns and things mm-hmm. like that. But her whole focus on Latin is a bit much. So I asked two people I know who studied Latin, and I asked them if it thought if it made them feel like they were better writers. And both of them said, no, not really. You know, it's like studying any language can help you with words in general. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Anyway, and then at the very end, she proposes a a literary conservatory like you know music conservatory where you go and you study advanced techniques so she's writing this i guess before mfa programs were a thing and she proposes this two-year literary uh conservatory where the main thing you study is you guessed it latin (laughs) (laughs) so you have a two-year course of latin mixed in with other writing general writing and then you break off into whatever you want to write whether it's fiction or poetry or screenplays that type of thing so she's loaded with great opinions she's funny some of the opinions she has is that for something to be considered literature it has to come from one mind Mm. And I Mm. thought that was interesting because I know I often shy away from fiction anyway that's written by two people or more. Mm. I don't know Mm. what it is. If I like the idea of one person sitting with this story and trying to get it out. So that was an interesting point. So it is, you know, if you're you're really into writing manuals, you might want to check this out because I think she does have important things to say. 
but I think the book doesn't hold up that well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In it would be interesting to see if she comes. I mean, it's 30 years old, right? So yeah. you'd think she would, if she was going to do an update, it's probably about time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it'd be cool. So. Yeah. We'll yeah. see. Well, I also read another light book called The Proposal by Jasmine Guillory. And I have read, this is a second book in, she's not calling it a series, but there are some appearances by some of the characters in in the first book, which was called The Wedding Date. And what she does well in her books, and I I kind of have a little fascination with, is how people meet. Mm -hmm. And so these characters, the very opening scene in the proposal is a man and a woman at a baseball game, and the man on the big, you know, live what do you call that screen? Yeah, the Jumbotron. It <laughs> has it come to him and he does a proposal in front of, you know, this stadium filled with people. They don't even spell her name right, <laughs> which tells you something. <laughs> They've only been dating for five months. And she's like, what the hell? And she says no, which, of course, then she's demonized. <laughs> and everyone's kind of like all these cameras are flocking to her as the guy stomps off. And then there's a sister and a brother sitting back from her that come to her rescue and pretend that they know her and whisk her out of the stadium. And then it ends up being a love story from there. Let's just say that. And the thing I loved about this book is her best, she has two best friends in the book and one of them has a cupcake bakery. So there was plenty (laughs) of cupcakes literally in this book. (laughs) And I was laughing because you know me and my love of cupcakes. So Um, and the cupcakes actually play a key role in the book too, which just cracked me up even more. Interesting. So it was it was really light, really interesting, but and I learned of this author from Roxane Gay. And she does, I think, really good character development and the the characters are just fun. They eat a lot in the books and um, I always am interested in how relationships develop through fiction Mm -hmm. so she does a good job with that so again the proposal by jasmine guillory all right well i also sought out a little fun read um (laughs) i was looking on uh amazon what is it the unlimited kindle unlimited i had signed up for that again so i'm on a trial for Mm -hmm. that and i wanted a vampire kind of story i found a lesbian vampire story called the vampire's heart by C.M. Blackwood, and it was more of a short story than than a novel, for sure. It's very much a short story, and it was then basics of a story. It was so not flushed out at all. It mm. was, the plot was enough to be a great novel, I think, or not a great novel, but a, a full novel, mm-hmm. um, but it was just so broadly stroked out that mm. it was not very entertaining. I read the whole thing. But there were just huge jumps and huge gaps, and you had to fill in so much. Mm. So if you're new to reading vampire stories, I don't recommend it for that issue alone. But the premise is pretty interesting. It's a woman named Emily, Victorian Times, I think, who is uh, taking a job as, oh my gosh, what do you call the word, the, the educator for kids back then when you lived with them, you lived with the family. Not a nanny. Lord, not a nanny. Like a Mary Poppins-y type of thing. God. I can't believe that word is escaping me. This is middle-aged brain at work. (laughs) So young kids, this is what you have to look forward to. Governess. The governess. The governess, yes. So she takes this job as a governess to two kids in Transylvania, um, (laughs) children of this British doctor. And she immediately has instant love lust with the guy's niece, 
is what she's portrayed as, who is a vampire. So they have, like, hot vampire human sex, and then... What can I say? I won't say anything more because okay. I don't want to give away the plot if anybody's interested. I think it does have a good plot. It's just so not flushed out. All right. So, well, but I read it. You read you know? it. Yeah. I did finish it. So anyway, um, that was The Vampire's Heart by C.M. Blackwood. Some people gave it five stars because oh, well, I looked on it. Goodreads. I also read a book called Sea Prayer by Khaled oh, Hosseini. This has really been beautiful. on my radar since I first heard about it. So yeah. he's the author of The Kite Runner and A Thousand Splendid Sons. And um, it's it's a children's book, and it's illustrated by Dan Williams. And this book is his response to, um, I don't know if you guys remember that tragic scene of the young... Um, Syrian boy Alan Curdy, who was wa- drowned when his family was trying to escape, mm-hmm. and so it's really a response to the immigrant and refugee crisis, and it's just beautiful. It's just a little story about people and class warfare and trying to escape, and I think the illustrations are beautiful. And when I read it, you know, it's it's. It's tough, but I think it would be a good gift if you need to buy a holiday gift for a young person. The other thing that came to mind is it would be a wonderful book to donate to a school library. Mm-hmm. And I always think of the holidays as a time for donations as well. So if you're interested in doing anything like that, or even just, you know, I'm, I'm sure that the li- I got this from the Hartford Library and they had many copies. I'm sure that the libraries are carrying it partly just because of his reputation as an author. Right. Um, but I'm not so sure school libraries will be carrying it. So if you know of a school library, it would be a great gift to donate one of them as well. So again, it's a young children's book. It's beautifully illustrated, and it is about the refugee crisis. So, see prayer. Well, the other book I read, I finally got to The Real Lolita, Mm. The Kidnapping of Sally Horner and the Novel That Scandalized the World by Sarah Weinman. This is one I got at Book Expo. I really enjoyed it. It was a great read. It is about... Sally Horner, the young girl um, who was, I believe, 11 when Mm. she was approached by a man and not taken then, but then taken later. So the way that story unfolds is really, it's very predatory, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was a man who had done prison time for molesting five other girls in the past so he was out so it's her story which is just so sad Mm -hmm. and tragic she died young he didn't kill her but she didn't live much longer after she was eventually found and reunited with her family did she die of natural causes she died in a car accident oh she did yeah when she was 15 wow she was with this man for almost two years so she was 13 when she was brought back to her family and then lived for two years and it was awful because the kids at school called her a whore and all of these things Mm -hmm. um and you just think how horrifying that had to have been for her to live through what she lived through and then to come back to a society that treats her that way right yeah yeah Hmm. um and this was you know it was the 50s so um And then the other part of the book, and these are woven throughout. So Sally's story in the situation is woven throughout. Oh, it was 1948 when this happened, not the 50s. The other part of the story then is um, Nabokov. I know some people pronounce that differently, um, but his 
writing of Lolita. Mm -hmm. So even before he wrote Lolita itself, for more than 20 years, he had this idea of writing a story about a man who's a, a pedophile. And he knew somebody who was a couple somebodies, I think, but there was one person in, instrumental in his formation of the idea of it. But it wasn't until Sally Horner's case came up that he kind of had a scaffolding to put the story on. Mm-hmm. So I guess this is an issue that's been argued a lot about because uh, Nabokov was very private and did not like to talk about his inspiration or real-life inspirations for his stories because I guess he was one of the great art thinkers of writing where you don't talk about that. It's debasing the art, maybe. I'm mm. not really sure why. But what was fascinating to me was um, his wife, Vera, and how she was shocked when the review started coming out that so many of the readers did not get the horror that Lolita the girl is living through. Mm. They all talk about the guy. Right. And they just, like, she's like, where, nobody's talking about this. And I think that's fascinating because I think people, in America anyway, we never want to talk about pain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's easier for us to talk about horror Mm -hmm. of what somebody did than the pain that they actually inflicted. Yeah. People don't want to talk about the victim's side in general. Yeah. Yeah. It's too uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So for that, it was really fascinating. I don't, I did, I've read Lolita twice, apparently, um, according to my journal. Mm. <laughs> and I remember reading it because it was one of those books as like, you know, somebody who's studying literature, it's one of those must right. reads. It's so referred to. Yeah. You know? And I did want to know, you know, so what is this about? Like, how mm. could a book about a pedophile be at all interesting? Mm-hmm. And I, for one, just thought, no, eh, okay, I read it. Mm-hmm. I don't really see the beauty of the profundity of this book Mm -hmm. i just i'm not that kind of person like if your sentences are beautiful if your story is boring me i'm just i'm not into it or what if it's just disturbing i mean that's the part you know you and i had kind of an off mic talk about this after i read that book ohio because it reminded me a little bit of the book not in story at all Mm -hmm. but just in the way it upset me of my absolute darling and a little life by Hana Yanagihara Mm -hmm. and it's always that question of yes if we read about things we can develop empathy Mm -hmm. that's one of the ideas I mean I do believe that reading does that for me but how many times and in how many different ways do I need to read about things that are going to be upsetting to me or that I might have my own life experience with. You know, there's that as well, right? And we always, as I've mentioned many times, bring that to our reading life. I mean, we talk about that in what's going to be at the end of this episode with Shuli, you know, in reading her book and how it relates to our own life experience. And so I raise that question with a book like Lolita, you know, Mm -hmm. like what is the entertainment value of it versus the establishing empathy and understanding value? Exactly. Right. right. Yeah. And I don't, I don't really have an interest to read Lolita again Mm -hmm. (laughs) with, uh, with looking at that. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm just really not that interested in it. And I just really, it's one of those books that I think who were the literary reputation makers of the time when that book came out. Mm, yeah. Because I think if, I mean, I don't think that book would find a publisher now. I mm, really don't think it would. I think we have such a, a much more understanding about pedophiles and the damage that they do mm. that I would really be surprised. I don't know. Who knows? You read that book about the pedophile and the genetics behind it and everything. Yeah. 
Was yeah. that a novel though, or was that, that was a true crime? That was true crime. Yeah. yeah. And then something like My Absolute Darling, where the father is abusing the daughter. Yeah. You know. So. I mean, there needs yeah. to be books for everybody, and yeah. I, you know, books can help create empathy, but all of us have we come with our own level of empathy already. Right. So yeah. some people might need to be hit a little bit harder for it to make an impact, mm-hmm. and for other people, it just could shut you down and turn mm-hmm. you off. Maybe, maybe that's. Right, and at what point is it entertainment, like I said, and, you know, taking advantage of certain things, which I think was some of the question of Lolita, right? I mean, like you said, because it wasn't dis- discussing the aspect of the pain and suffering mm-hmm. of the child. No, it wasn't. I mean, yeah. it, that Hubert Humphrey, the the main character, it's all from his perspective. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, I don't know, I haven't read that much about Lolita to know, like, what his intention was. Was he trying to put the reader in the place of this unreliable narrator Mm -hmm. to see, so how much are you going to buy about this? And how many readers will be sophisticated enough, if that's the right word, to kind of see through the BS that this guy is laying out to convince himself that he's not a monster? Mm. I don't yeah. know, because he's, yeah. you know, one of the classic unreliable narrators. Right. Is this tr- considered true crime, then? This yes. Okay. True crime and literary history. Okay. And I really enjoyed how she wove both of them together. It's interesting. I had a conversation with Russell from Ink and Paper Blog, a, real, a quick one. And he he preferred, I think, the literary conversation of the book. And I really enjoyed the true crime mm. aspects mm-hmm. of the book. Because there wasn't much to piece together anymore. A lot of the records are gone or missing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I thought uh, Sarah Wyman did a great job of trying to reconstruct as much as she could to tell that story. Mm -hmm. Um, But Russell did also mention that he had read a really great biography of Vera, Nabokov's wife, Mm. that goes into a little bit of detail. Hmm. around the the issue of Lolita. Okay, I'll try so, to look that up and put that in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, we'll ask him. So yeah. that was The Real Lolita by Sarah Weinman. It's out now. It's really a really good read. Excellent. I know that was one of the ones that you picked out as when we brought home 70 pounds of books. I know. the one you were most excited <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah, and I finally got to it. But you That's know what? Great. I think books get read at the right time Absolutely. for the most part. So. So Biblio Adventures, we had... Um, we had a snow out. Right. We had one successful joint jaunt and one unsuccessful joint jaunt. Yeah. The unsuccessful joint jaunt was on a day, literally... Well, we finished recording with Shuli. It was like 5 o'clock. There was two flakes of snow, and we headed out, and then all of a sudden it was oh, a it was, whiteout. We had... They said three inches of snow in the first hour. Yeah. And we ended up with seven and a half inches yeah. of snow in Guilford, I think. And we were trying to get to Bank Square Books in Mystic, which is about a 45-minute drive. We drove 20 minutes and didn't get out of Guilford. Mm -hmm. So we had to bail, and we missed seeing Cheryl Suckers and Jean Moore have a conversation about their books. I was bummed about that. But if we had made it, we probably would have got there after the event. Exactly. (laughs) The store would have been closed. We were moving. Yes. But we did get to the movies, and we saw Can You Ever Forgive Me? which is uh, based on the story of Lee Israel, who was an author who... Wrote biographies. Yeah, she, yeah. Was, she was somewhat famous for her biography, like Estee Lauder, and I can't remember who Catherine else. Hepburn, I think she yeah. was on Catherine Hepburn. But then she, was, she had come upon hard times and started to write 
letters as if she was famous. Yeah. So she's authors. yeah. So she's hard up for money and just played by Melissa McCarthy, which is I thought she did a brilliant job. Unbelievable. Um. So the character, Lee Israel, is hard up for money, and there's a signed letter that she has framed that she decides to go in to sell to see how much money she can get for it because her cat is sick. Right. She can't pay to take care of her cat. And so she realizes, like, huh, interesting. So then she starts forging letters. Right. And making money that way. And what's fascinating, and I think, like, I really enjoyed the movie, but looking back now, like, I wanted so many more details. Like, there's... So she's selling letters from mid-century and earlier writers... So she finds what typewriter that they were they wrote on. Right. So in her apartment in this one scene, you see all these different typewriters with, you know, little index cards on it for who whatever author used that. Right. And she looks at their letters and actually measures how far they indented to start their letters. Like she really I mean, I was thinking, like, damn, with the amount of work she put into that, yes. she could have been writing a biography, yeah. you know? Like, <laughs> well, she was. That was the saddest part, is she had an idea of a biography to be writing, and her editor basically said, nobody's interested in this anymore. Right. So what she was doing, people didn't want her to do anymore, even though she was talented. But you didn't know? her agent give her some ideas? Of, like, apparently, she just wasn't willing to, to do any of the promotion or anything that was coming to be expected of writers. Well, she wasn't a pleasant person. She didn't like no. people. She liked she her cat. Yeah. She didn't like people very much. She didn't like people. And that, yeah. that was the cool thing that I liked. It was it was this grumpy, middle-aged, unattractive person who was the star and center of a movie. Yes. Like, yeah. how often does that happen? Yeah. The only equivalent I could come up with that's not even really close is Kathy Bates and Misery. Yes. And yeah. she's, you know, that's a different kind yeah. of movie completely. Yeah. yeah. That was more of a horror. Yeah. But, um, but I really appreciated it. And, you know, eventually she is, she gets in some trouble, mm-hmm. you know, with the law. But then eventually in real life, she does write a book called Can You Ever Forgive Me? About her her, her exploits. Yes. And I wonder how good that book is. I, I don't it'd know. It would be interesting to find out. Yeah. I mean, I had so many questions about her when I got home, but yeah. it was late and I didn't look it up and I still haven't. But. I really enjoyed the movie. Yeah. I enjoyed every minute of it. The time and, flew. And she's not, it's not like there's a total happy ending. She's mm-hmm. still an ass yeah. at the end of the movie. Yeah. Although she's cleaned up a little bit. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I would just like to learn more. Yeah. Well, we can do that on our own for sure. So the other, uh, I went to uh, RJ Julie up in Middletown, had dinner with our buddy, our mystery, our man. mystery man, John Valerie, and that was nice. I did a little pre- Shopping. Nice. Animal shopping. (laughs) And I went for Small Business Saturday. This last Saturday, I was up in Vermont and got to go to Northshire Bookstore, one of our favorites. Love that place. Yes. And I just had a great time. I browsed. They have a fantastic used section, and then they just have so many cool sidelines. Yeah. I just browsed and browsed. And you took that great picture of their literary candles. Yes. tins. They have beautiful literary candles in these beautiful copper, like rectangle copper tins. Highly recommend. They ship. So get in touch with them. <laughs> totally. Or you might find them at your bookstore. Mm-hmm. So upcoming jaunts. Upcoming jaunts. Um, RJ Julia Madison tomorrow is a woman named Virginia Soul Smith, and she's mm. written a book that I'm really interested in called The Eating Instinct, Food Culture, Body Image, and Guilt in America. And it's kind of about how we learn to eat in today's toxic food culture. 
and how women, I think in particular, maybe, hmm. I don't know if it's true for women. She's a woman, but I'd really like to go see her. I have a bit of a busy day tomorrow, but I'm hopeful. Yeah. Are we still going to New Haven tomorrow? Yes. All right. That's part of my busy day. Okay, yeah. So we, we're planning a work day at the yes. library. Sterling Library yeah. in New Haven Campus Store, which we haven't done in a while. We haven't done in a long time. I'm I excited. love their their uh, reference room there. Mm-hmm. It's so nice and bright and quiet. quiet. Yeah. Yes. One day I got there and I opened my computer and I forgot that my battery had died while a video was playing. <laughs> and I opened my computer and this video started playing really loudly. One of my most recent embarrassing moments because yeah. it is so quiet in there. It was like 50 heads yes, turned. Yes, it is. You know? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I totally forgot. Did I talk? I went to um to go backwards a little bit. I did have some other Biblio adventures. I went to Boston Oh. One day, and I went to the um, Boston Antiquarian Book Fair. Oh, that's the right. International Book yeah. Fair, which was really cool to see. I'd, I'd gone to the one in New York a couple years ago and enjoyed that. So we went up uh, to visit one of our nieces who lives in Boston, and I snuck out for an hour or two to go check out the fair. So that nice. was neat. And it was bizarre because they had, I, you know, sometimes you see old ARCs, advanced reader copies. They had an advanced reader copy of... The Overstory. By Richard Powers, which, is, which just came out. Which just came out. And I mm-hmm. thought, that's a little much. And that's, it was $150. Yeah. Which I, made no sense I didn't to me. think that was very appropriate at yeah. all. It's not like it's a historical artifact. Yeah. Not very antiquarian. No, no yeah. not at all. So, But then um, Laura and Abby came back and picked me up from there, and we walked from there to... Um, back to her place. But on the way, we stopped at the main, the central library in Boston, and Abby gave us a quick tour, and that was gorgeous. Your pictures were amazing. It looks very, like there's a lot of cool tile work and things like that. Yeah, just a gorgeous building. So there's the old traditional building that was built, you know, sometime in the 19th century. And then on the other side is the new addition that is huge and glass, and they they were filming a live show in one corner, Hmm. and Abby was thinking that was like the NPR local affiliate station where they do some recording because it's in Copley Square right there. Okay. So that was gorgeous to see. And it was, what was it? It was a Saturday night that we went and the library was packed with people working and studying. And they have a really long rectangular room too. And granted it was night and they had all the, you know, the green lights on each table. So that looked great, but also very quiet. Mm. But tons of tourists, and they're taking pictures. Oh, interesting. It was really funny. Huh. Yeah. Oh, that is funny. It was, I yeah. guess there were a lot of things going on that day in, in Boston. There was the the Yale-Harvard game oh. was going on at Fenway Park. We got stuck in that traffic. That's so very um, Gilmore Girls. <laughs> Totally, yeah. Oh, so that that's was so fun. neat. So yeah, that was cool. that was a really fun biblio biblio adventure. Boston. Nice. I'd love to spend more time up there. Me too. Me too. I've yeah. only been there a couple times since I moved here, and yeah. it's a very cool city. Well, we did you have anything else you forgot about, or can we go back to upcoming Johns? Yeah, let's go to upcoming Johns because we have a very exciting one for Chris that I'm tagging along on. I'm excited, too. I didn't mean it that way. I'm leading Emily to the water. That's right. Yes, I'm going to make her drink some Louise Penny magic. (laughs) On December 9th, we're going on a joint jaunt to Concord, New Hampshire. Concord, New Hampshire, yep. We're going to see Louise Penny there. She's going to be at the Chubb Theater. Yeah. And uh, that's going to be an event sponsored by Gibson Bookstore, 
and the Capitol Center for the Arts. So Very exciting. And her new book is Kingdom of the Blind, mm-hmm. which is yeah. out or it, it must be out. comes out on Tuesday. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I have my copy. I'm ordered at uh, Breakwater Books. Right on. So I'll be picking it up Tuesday, tomorrow morning. And you're going to the library with me? I thought that meant you were I'm like having a day I'm going to sit there and read my novel while At the work. library. Yes. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Good. I mean, I'm going to work too some. Well, that I is work. I don't think I'll have the whole day. Just <laughs> okay. because it, the way it's falling, after, like, and I did, I really didn't work over the holiday weekend. So I might not be able to have my traditional day of Louise Penny. Yeah. It might have to be... A couple days. Split out, Tuesday, yeah. Wednesday. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited. I'm excited for two reasons. Well, three. I always love going on a joint jump with my friend here. I have not spent much time in New Hampshire at mm-hmm. all. And I really am interested to hear Louise Penny speak yeah. because she just seems like such a fascinating person. Yeah, so, she really is. Yeah. She's so kind and gracious and compassionate and... Yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing her again. It'll be a new state in which to see her. That's right. That's right, because you've seen her in Chicago several times, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. Excellent. I'm really looking forward to it. And I look, I'm looking forward to the ride, too, because it's a daytime event. Yeah. So we'll actually be able to see. Yes, some, right. Because it's dark here things. about 4 o'clock, people, just yeah. so you know. So what have you got in the world of upcoming reads? Upcoming reads, well, it will be The Kingdom of the Blind, Louise Penny. And then the other thing that I have in the works is the Classics Club, which mm-hmm. I've talked about before, which is a reading, a group of people who get who read classics. And the, the thing is you make a list of 50 classics you'd like to read within X amount of time. And every now and then they do a spin, what they call a spin. So where you take 20 books that you want to read off of your list post them on your blog and then on a set day they roll the dice and whatever number that lands oh. on you read the corresponding book okay usually i think you have like a month to read it this time it's gonna they you have until january 31st they're announcing the oh. number tomorrow okay so tuesday the 27th and they're recommending that you choose chunksters off of your list this time mm-hmm. so and that's why they're giving like almost 10 weeks right. to read it in that time and it's just a fun way to be social about reading classics because you know if you read a contemporary book there's tons of reviews and chatter that you can catch online about the book but with classics it's a little bit more of a challenge sometimes so i am putting chunksters on my list i have I'm leaving off uh, Les Mis because mm. that's like 1,500 pages. Oh, my. At least the edition that I have. And I could not get that read by January 31st. Not with, we have Laura's birthday and then Christmas and New Year's. I just, yeah. there won't yeah. be enough time. So I did put every other book on there that's long, including like Don Quixote, which is 900 and something pages, mm. which is the second longest and then Middle March is on there a couple times because I'm only putting books on the list that are 400 pages or over. Wow. So for, and I think there were 16 of those Holy or 15. Smokes. So the last five, it's all Middle March. Oh. So I thought, okay, because I want to read Middle March. <laughs> I know March, you do. So, so you're, you're hedging the odds. Yeah, no, wait, how do you say it? You're making the odds in the favor of Middle March, yes, I guess is yeah. the best way to say so it. So we'll see yeah. how that turns out. So whatever book lands um that's what i'll be reading for next. quite some time yeah so that's one reason like i would really like to be able to read the new louise penny tomorrow yeah so then i could started. jump into whatever classics yeah. that is cool so, yeah 
How about you? What's in the works? Well, I have Hum If You Don't Know the Words by Bianca Murray, which if, for people to remind you, that is our next read-along, and we'll be talking with Bianca on December 6th. Yes. So if you have any questions or comments, you can email us at bookcougars at gmail.com, or we have a topic on our Goodreads group that people have been participating in, so yeah. hop over there and let us know your yeah. thoughts. We're talking with her December 7th, so get, oh, 7th, get your I'm sorry. questions to us by December 6th. Perfect. And I just read Hum. I just finished it this weekend, and I loved it. And I won't say anything else other than everyone should read it. Okay. Well, it's next up for me. Awesome. I've also been volunteering at the Hartford Public Library, the main one downtown, and they have an unbelievable new section so every time I come home with like 10 books <laughs> Jim thinks I need an intervention yeah well <laughs> so so the books I have also potentially to start are The Perfect Mother by Amy Malloy which was blurbed by um, Kimberly McCrate oh, yeah. Kimberly McCrate who we interviewed who yeah up at wrote, the book yeah, bookstore who yeah. Reconstructing Amelia it's supposed to be quite a page turner thriller and then Conversations with Friends by Sally Rooney, which I've seen a lot of booktubers and friends of ours talking about. Heads of the Colored People by Nafisa Thompson Spires, and that's a, a set of short stories. And then also John McPhee's new book, oh, The Patch, look at that. Yeah. which we talked about him when we went to see Susan Orlean at the New York Public Library. He was coming up mm-hmm. in the library live series. So I'm definitely going to tune in and listen to the podcast when it's available. For those of you who don't know John McPhee, he's a very renowned nonfiction writer. He writes a lot in The New Yorker and... Um, I believe he was a professor at Princeton. I don't know if he still teaches there. I know he still has an office there. Mm. But years ago, my book club, we decided that all of us would just read a book by John McPhee and then talk about it because he's so prolific. Mm -hmm. And I read his book about oranges because I wasn't very excited about this assignment because at the time I wasn't a big nonfiction reader. But as you all know, I love food. So I was like, well, he wrote a book about oranges. I'll read that. (laughs) It was so good, wow. and it was a book about oranges, mm-hmm. you know? So he's an incredible writer, and um, this is a book of his essays, I believe, so I'm really excited about that. So I look forward to hearing about that. I haven't read anything by him. Oh, he's oh. such a great writer. So those are all my... So in other words, I'm not going to work, because I have stacks of books. <laughs> These are just the ones I'm telling you about. I have stacks of books all over the house from that library, so... All right. So up next is our conversation with Shuli Kaywood. Yes, her book launch. Yes. Go For, out and buy it. Yes. We both loved it. We did. Available today. Welcome, Shuli Kaywood, author of now two books, I'm so excited to say, Shuli was on a previous episode of The Book Cougars, episode 22, with her memoir, The Going and Goodbye, and now she has a new book that, Shuli, I believe you're referring to as an inspirational gift book. Is that right? That's right. That's how I am describing it. And would you like to disclose, since this is your book launch, what the title is? Yes, it's called 52 Things I Wish I Could Have Told Myself When I Was 17. And it didn't start out as 52 things, I will tell you. It started out as, I think when I first read it, it was 36 things, and then it just kept increasing. Interesting, because that's one of the questions I had for you was, why 52 and why 17? Those are good questions. I started out, when I first wrote a draft of this, it started out as, 36 things just because that's what my first draft was and I counted them up 
And as I kept, I worked on this for actually many months. I would add things and delete things and add them and delete them. And then the final ended up being 52, not for any rhyme or reason. It just was 52. I wish I could say there was some magic behind it, but it just seemed it settled in at that number and it seemed to fit. And so I just kept it at 52. Interesting. I have to ask that. I'm, I have a thing about 52. I'm 52 this year. And mm. I've been coming across a lot of 52s in literature. Oh, interesting. So when I saw the, the title of your new book, I was like, huh, 52. I wonder why. Yeah. And then, and then 17. Oh, go ahead. So the 17, I was going to answer that. The 17 came, I looked at everything that I had written, and all of the things that I wrote are, I mean, this is not a memoir, but everything is true. So it's based on things that I learned in my life, and I tried to figure out the date that that I would have really liked to have told myself all these things in the first place, but I wanted to make sure that these things, none of them had happened yet in my life. So that was also um, part of it. If I had gone up in years, then some of these things happened around my 17th, 18th year. And so I wanted, it probably doesn't matter to a reader, but it matters to me that these, the, the, the things that I'm thinking about when I write the, you know, one through 52 hadn't happened yet or were happening when I was 17. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah, I get it. Yeah, 17 <laughs> is such a such an age, isn't it? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I think so many of us, especially women, there there is that mystique about sweet 16, mm-hmm. even if yeah. you don't necessarily celebrate that in your family, and then you're 18, and all of a sudden you're a legal adult. Right. Whatever that, whatever that means, exactly. Um, but 17, it's, it is. But yes, it is. It's a really interesting age. You are, especially at 18, considered adult in so many ways. And I think about all the things I didn't know, not only at 17 and 18 and 25 and 30. And <laughs> it's, it's a little frightening how much I thought I knew and didn't know. Um, and I'm not saying I was a brash um, young woman either, but I really was more sure about decisions I made and things I did that now I look back and realize how much I didn't know. Of course, I've learned from those things, so that's good, but sometimes I wish I could assure my younger self about a lot of things um, that would happen in my life that I was really frightened of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think your younger self would have listened, though? No, of course not. <laughs> it's interesting. Even this book has been um, teaching me a lesson about fear as well. My um, father, he he's had a small press, a literary press for years, many, many years. And he, at this point in his life, doesn't, is ready to let go of it. And so a while back, he gave me the press, the small press, and he gave me everything that goes along with it, all the business stuff, the logos, the the files, the registrations, everything. And I was wanting to put out a book eventually, but I didn't know what it would be. And I've never done, I've never been an editor for a small press before. So this is a completely new landscape for me. And I wanted to put out a book, but I didn't know what it was. And I didn't want to learn on somebody else's book, what I didn't know. And so I knew from the beginning that I would publish something of my own first so I could learn on my own dime and figure out a bunch of things about running a small press. And I didn't know what book I would end up choosing. I, For example, I have a short story collection ready to go. I have a full-length poetry manuscript ready to go, but those didn't seem like the right things for whatever reason. And mm-hmm. so I, um, when I wrote this, 
I think I wasn't thinking about anything. I just wrote it. It was one of these few pieces. I don't have a lot of sort of inspired pieces that just flow very easily. It's not, does that doesn't come to me very often. Usually it's really hard to write things. I love writing, but it they take a ton of work. And this came very easily. Now I did work on it a lot in the months that followed and changed it a lot. But the initial draft was one of those pieces that just falls onto the page and you don't know why you're writing it and you, it just happens and it felt good. And I eventually thought in the back, but I didn't know what it was, so I should add that. You know, it's this list of 52 things, basically. It's not a poem. It's not a memoir. It's not an essay collection. It doesn't fit easily into the genres. So I really hesitated doing anything with it. I didn't know what it was or what to call it. And then I eventually kept thinking, what if I made this into a book? It would be this really quirky little tiny book. But I really hesitated a lot because of it didn't fit naturally into anything I, I see out there. And so I really hesitated, and it took a lot of overcoming that fear. And there's a whole other story behind how that happened um, because something did inspire me to change because for a long time I didn't know if I would move forward with it. Well, we would love to hear that story. Well, I, <laughs> I wanted to make sure, and you can cut this out. I wanted to make sure I wasn't going on too long because I'm being really gabby. Um, no, no. You're, so, you're the feature, yeah. not us. Well, so I hesitated for a long time. I wondered, I, I played what I call the what-if game. What if I did do this little tiny manuscript, and what if I, this became the book that I did for the press? It's called Cimarron Books. What, what if this is the first book that I put out? And I really hesitated, but I played around with covers, and I would talk to Emily about it sometimes. I'd be working on a cover, but still not sure. And then I think it was must have been in the fall sometime that the Writer's Chronicle came. It's a magazine that I subscribe to and get. And in it was an article by George Saunders. And he was talking about, in this article, and I have it in front of me, I'd love to read a, a couple little parts of it that were inspiring to me. But in this article, he talks about finding his own voice in terms of being a writer and trying to emulate other writers. And he talks about... Um, the day that he, so he's been trying to write this novel, and he works on this novel for months and months, and it, it, it's a 700-page novel. It's the first one he's written. He shows it to his wife, and she just isn't that excited about it, and it's sort of like, oh, it sort of kills him. So he writes, the next day I went into work experiencing that beautiful clarity of despair that comes with having committed a true artistic fiasco. Okay, this thing to which I've given my all did not work, and everything I've tried up until now hasn't worked. What now? Awash in that despair haze, I was assigned to take notes in a particularly uneventful conference call. It was a So I started writing these little Susian poems, kind of out of the corner of my eye. They were light, scatological, irrational comics. I wasn't thinking about writing at all. I was just scooping around, killing time. And then he talks about how he, by the time the call's over, he's written about 20 pages of these, he puts in quotes, poems. And they aren't quite poems, but he says, I nearly threw them away. There was something about them that I liked. So he takes them home, and he throws them on the kitchen table and goes off and plays with his kid. He said, a few minutes later, I heard this blessed sound, my wife laughing in a good way at these poems. And so he realizes that's kind of the moment that he found his voice. And he talks in this article about how he had been trying to climb like the Hemingway, he calls it the mountain, the Hemingway Mountain and the Kerouac Mountain, trying to imitate all these people. And he realizes that 
he says, you know, the day that he starts, he then starts writing another, another what he calls a little weird story that becomes one of the stories he puts into his first collection. But he says, the day I started that weird little story, I looked over and there was this little shit hill. And somebody had stuck a sign in there, written in crude letters, Saunders Mountain. His name is George Saunders. And I thought, well, okay, it's a shit hill, but at least it's my shit hill. And <laughs> I thought about how... I mean, it really struck me when I, when I read this. I thought, you know, here is this person who became unafraid to use his own voice. And I have my own voice in writing, but here was a manuscript that I couldn't put anywhere, and I was afraid of what people would think and what would they, if they think it's too weird and too quirky. And that's the day that I thought, I don't care. I'm going to put it out. It's this weird, quirky little manuscript and I'm going to put it out in the world without having fear anymore. And that was the day I decided I better hire a good designer because I've been trying to do the cover myself and trying to do the formatting myself and really failing pretty miserably. And I hired a fabulous designer, Peter Barnfather, and he took my ideas and made them actually look really good. And I really appreciate him. He had, had a huge impact on this book. Yeah, and the cover is really cool. It's got black and white and pink, very similar to the Going in the Goodbye, yes. your memoir. And he was the same designer, no? He was, he was the same designer. And when we talked about this cover, I told him, I said, I want this cover to not look like a sibling of my memoir, but I want it to look like a cousin. I'd like you to try to use the same colors, but have it, the cover and the font that you use fit the content of this book, because this book is really different. I don't want people to think it is another memoir because it really isn't. Um, it's quite different. It's literally 52 things, and there's one thing on each page, and some of them are just a sentence long, and some of them are a paragraph long, and it's a really short book. It's just literally 52 pages. Yeah, it'd make a, a really nice gift for the holidays. I mean, I could totally, having a bookstore background, see it on the gift table yeah. and recommending it to people um, who are looking for something for a young woman, girl, yeah. somebody who they, who might be in their family, they could be close to, or it could be somebody they don't know that well. It, it's a nice, I think, well-rounded book to, to give out that way because it's serious, it's funny, but it, it's not, it's, it's, I think it's as heavy as you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that I, makes sense. I agree because I think some of it has to do with your own life experience, mm-hmm. right? And right, so as right. Reading, you bring yourself you know, you can't help to bring yourself into these things, which I think is one of the gifts of age, right? Yeah. We have experienced right. a lot. Mm-hmm. So the one that I'm looking at um, is number 24. So as Shuli said, you know, each page has a, a number on it, and then it has what I think are very poetically written little hints mm-hmm. is kind of how I look at it, you know, hints about life and things that will you will have to confront in life or that will confront you maybe. And number 24 is being kind to yourself is not the same as being selfish. And an example of how that reminded me of something in my life was, you know, I had two children and I had them both when I was really young. And I vividly remember when Jacob, my youngest, left for college, I happened to go, I was a a part of this group of women that had um, multi-ages. And one of the women who was 70 said to me, how's it going now that, you know, you live in an empty nest? And I said, I'm really afraid that I'm going to get very, what's the word that I used with her? Indulgent, maybe? 
Well, yes, I'm going to become very indulgent. You know, I don't even have to cook dinner and, you know, I can leave (laughs) dirty clothes all over the house, whatever. And she put her arm, her hand on my shoulder and said, honey, that's called taking care of yourself. (laughs) You know, I realized like, yeah, it's not selfish to do what I want to do when I want to do it. But it sure felt that way because it was such an odd situation for me, one that I hadn't experienced since I was 22 and I was now in my mid 40s, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like as I was reading these, I definitely, it kind of brings you back to some of your own experiences. There were some that made me kind of chuckle. And then there were a lot that kind of made me take a a breath in, you know, and a little bit of shock Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. I think they're good reminders for for every age. Yeah, for sure. Because one that I was looking at, um, that, I remember first realizing this in my life, and where did it go? I think it is number 21, and it says, it will be people who will tell you, you can't, you won't ever, you aren't. These people will make you stumble until you realize they're really speaking to themselves. Mm -hmm. And I love that, and that, to me, is such a, it was such a shocking thing to realize. And I know people mean well, but I know from my own life, I was held back by asking certain people for their advice. And the responses I got were based on their own fear as opposed to current reality in my life. Right. So I, I, I love that. I, I liked the super short ones. Mm-hmm. And then I liked the longer ones, like number 21 here. Yeah, and I think people give you advice based on their role in your life, and then also their own experiences and their own fear and, 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 and right. yeah. yeah. And, and there are people who are jealous, I mean, who see you moving forward or getting something and wish it for themselves, and so they're not happy for you. And they, I have been lucky. I haven't had that many people like that in my life, but I've had a couple and it's not mm-hmm. fun um, because then you think, oh, there is, is there something wrong with what I'm doing? And you realize after a while they're being critical, but they're not really being critical of you. It's more about their own stuff. <laughs> but it yeah. took me years to figure that out, years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and just the language of some people. I'm always surprised when I'm talking with somebody about something and, and they'll say, well, you don't want to do that. And I'll say, mm-hmm. well, no, I told you that I am doing that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. You don't want to do that. So I'm always on the alert for that phrase because yeah. I think, like, where is that coming from? And mm-hmm. obviously having a conversation with somebody depends on who they are and the context and all that. Right. Right. Very true. One of the last ones to show up in the book, I think I added it. I mean, it's not at the end, but it's number 30. I don't think I had this in for a long time, but I this one is sort of reminds me of putting out this book, but it's a lesson I keep learning over and over, and it's about fear. It says, never underestimate yourself or your ability to do something. You will watch others with far less skill and far less talent, but with far more confidence, do the thing you thought you could not do, and you will wonder why you did not at least try, at least mm-hmm. try. Yeah. And I there's so many things that I always, in my life, not always, but often thought that I couldn't do, and then I would see somebody just go ahead and do it and try it and not be so scared. And um, I've, I've had to learn that lesson over and over and over. And, Shirley, don't you think part of that is a function of age, you know, that, like, that you are at the age you're at now and feel like you can write this book and have the confidence to put it out in the world? 
I think it's my age and being a woman. I, I, I think in general, and this is a huge sweeping statement, but I think women sometimes are a little bit more held back by our culture than men. And maybe that's an unfair statement. I know there are men who are held back too, but I think that sometimes the expectations are different based on gender. And so I think as a woman, I have, now I was fortunate I had parents, so I'm not going to, my parents were very encouraging of both me and my sister and always thought we could do anything we set our mind to. So I can't, but I just think culturally, I think sometimes I was treated differently than some of the men who were in the same positions that I was. And and so I, I think as a woman, it's taken me maybe a little longer than other people to, to figure some of this stuff out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I'm dancing all around because it's probably sounding really un-PC, but anyway, <laughs> you can edit that part out. I think there is that expectation in our culture that men jump in. Well, I mean, I think there's also a part of me that admires men for that, too. It's not all just that we've been held back. It's that they've been encouraged to operate differently. And even, you know, there's that statistic about if there's a man and a woman both applying for a job and they read the job description, a man, if they can do like 50% of it, feels like, oh, Mm -hmm. I'll apply for that job. And a woman has to like they can do 84% or something. I don't remember exactly the statistics, but, yeah. you know, in order to be willing to apply, you know? Right. Yeah. And so I should say, I don't feel like I've been held back by other people. I think I've held myself back. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, one of the things that they talk about is how writers, female writers, when they get a rejection from a literary magazine are not as likely as they get a rejection. They won't often won't try again. Even if the magazine says, we hope you'll submit again, even though we're rejecting this piece, that women more than men tend to not submit again. And so I've had to teach myself you're going to submit again. Whether you like it or not, you're going to submit again. And so mm-hmm. when I say being held back, I mean holding myself back, you know, feeling not confident enough. I, I'm not saying an individual held me back um, and were terrible to me, but I think that I held myself back because of my own expectations about myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think most listeners understand that, you know, when we talk about gender norms and expectations, it, it is a shorthand conversation yes. that right. the problem with gender stereotypes is that they hurt all of us. Right. Right. Even though right. they look like benefits. I mean, they do benefit some, but they hurt all of us. So. Right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. What you were saying made me think of, um, I watched a, a talk that Louise Penny gave recently. Mm-hmm. And write her first book until she was in, in her 40s, I believe. And she said that what she realized was that not not trying is what would kill her. Mm-hmm. And I like that a lot, you know, and, and the thing here, at least try. Yeah. Right. At least try. You know, yeah. I, I know I don't want to be on my deathbed thinking about all the things I didn't try. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. So, Shirley, I want to ask you about something, and it might be too private. And if it's too private and you don't want to talk about it, please feel free to say so. But there's definitely a thread with a couple of the things that you talk about that has to deal with illness. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like it's important for listeners to know that because I think it also opens up the audience for who the book is really would be helpful to. Would you right. like to speak a little bit? Yes. And I, I will say that in terms of audience, I, 
I'd love to see a 17-year-old get, but I actually thought of this as having a wider audience. I think it, I think this book would even speak to me at my age, you know, so I thought of, I, I think of it as, like I can picture somebody in their 20s and 30s and 40s even reading this book and getting something out of it. So I just wanted to say that. And in terms of, um, I do have a thread about illness. I faced breast cancer in my own life. I don't have it anymore. I'm very lucky. But there is a thread about that in there and all the things that I feared so much. And I had many years where I feared getting it. And I that was a huge obstacle for me in my life that I eventually had to get over. Um, and it's very common. I'm learning how common it is for women and men to get breast cancer now. Yeah, yeah. And I would just say, I, I'm in my 50s. I enjoyed it, and I got things out of this book. Mm-hmm. And I've read it twice. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I'll pick it up again. And, yeah, I didn't mean to imply earlier. It's just for younger people. Yeah, it's definitely. It's a, it's a book for all ages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, as I said earlier, I think it's a book that I would see, too, if I picked this up in my 60s, I would read it differently as well. So I think that's one of the gifts of a, of a book like this is that it changes as you change and grow and have different life experiences. So I can see a 17-year-old reading it who hasn't been heartbroken yet thinking, oh, well, we'll see about that. And then, you know, I can choose widely in love. I don't know what she's talking about. (laughs) You know, at 20, maybe having some other feelings about it. (laughs) Right, right. And that that was the hope. Um, That was the hope that it would... They would reach people at wherever, whatever stage of life that they were and speak to them in a different way. And the basic thing I think about this book is I wanted to say huge about just not having fears about what will happen, that things will happen and you'll learn from them and you'll, you'll be okay. And that you are okay no matter who you are and what you're like. I think we're always comparing ourselves to others and thinking we should do this and be that and I wish I could tell my younger self, you don't have to fit people's expectations and meet everybody's approval, and you won't, and that's okay. You are who you are, and to just accept myself with all of my quirks and know that it's okay and that I'm okay. Very well said. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I think that's a great place for us to land. Would you be willing yes. to tell us how to find this book? Yes. And so the day that this is going to air, the book will be released. It'll be on, the easiest way to find it is probably Amazon. It'll be listed on Amazon as both a paperback and a Kindle. Um, Bookstores can order it through Ingram um, and through Lightning Source, but probably for most, you know, the average listener who isn't related to a bookstore, Amazon's probably the best place to go and the easiest. Great. So in the show notes, we will put a link directly to the book. We really appreciate and are excited that the Book Cougars is your launch for this book. Totally exciting. Our first book launch with an author. Thank you for choosing us. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Thank you for having me and for allowing me to do this as my book launch. I was really excited about it. It's perfect. As are we. And we want to remind everybody that the holiday season is upon us. This, I think, is a perfect gift. Really, also, I think it would make wonderful birthday gifts, which happen all year long. All year long, yeah. <laughs> That's the good news. Buy five copies and have it to give away. We encourage you. Thank you so much, Shuli. You are also, not only are you the first author to have a book launch, you're the first author to be on our show twice, I believe. Yes. Yay. I'm very lucky. So thank you. <laughs> 
So keep writing, and <laughs> we'd like you to be our third. <laughs> Thanks, Shirley. We really appreciate thank you. it. Oh, Bye. thank you all. I, I can't thank you enough. Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. To keep the bookish conversation going online, join our Goodreads group or connect with us on social media. If you'd like to contribute to our hunt for a good read, you can donate on Patreon. And if you have a minute to review us on whatever app you use to listen to us, we appreciate it. It can help other listeners find us. Thanks, everybody.